You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Let me grab this talking stick thing. <laughs> hey, it's on! There's nothing, nothing quite like just waiting until the intro music plays before we start thinking about how to structure the show. Yeah, go, right. Um, now, what are we doing? <laughs> um, okay, Matty, food, right? That's it. Welcome to 3RRR FM. You're in the afternoon, and uh, it's all thing food. And uh, and booze too. Big thanks to the scientists. My name is Cam Smith. Across me, I have Matt Stedman. Also, I just want to say, as well as a big thanks to the scientists, big thanks to uh, radiotherapy earlier today with some very interesting discussions about politics. They never hear us. by uh, our friend Panel Peter Kent. Kent Kent doing podcasting. Hey, salute. We just saluted each other. <laughs> That's right. There's a little bit of John Wayne there from Kent. That's right. I'm doing the podcasts. But but this hour, as yes. you say, is about food. It is about food, mm. and um, today it is about um, it's about a lot of things. Uh, it uh, we're going to work backwards. It's about the frame of your food. Yes, when you think about it, we want to talk about the evolution of the plate. You were excited about this. You said we, we, we thirty years doing the show. Never we've thought about. Never it. really spoken about. It. The plate. What, what you put the food on. We've got, we, we got the stuff that goes on the plate. A lot you've done, done, done that to death, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, geez, we sort of mind that one a little bit, maybe a little bit too much. Um, but we're very, very happy to say that uh, from Robert Gordon Kitchen, mm. um, we have Sam Gordon waiting in the wings. Yes. There he is. He's going, oh, yes, he's going. That's me. And um, he's surrounded by luminaries of the kitchen because yes. uh, we have with him a, uh, a young Guy Grossi? Yes. The uh, patron of that great institution on number 80 Burke Street, Cafe Florentino. Yes. Um, a cafe that has been serving food for 100 years. Yes. 1918. It first yeah, started. Really? Cafe de Nat. Huh. Uh, they first started off by a gentleman by the name of Samuel Wynne. Yes. And uh, we're going to talk about what it's like to be the custodian the patron of such uh, an incredible institution and how he has been the helmsman of this great place. And he's released a book which is called Celebar. Bloody good book. Bloody good book. We both agreed. We, we both agreed. agreed. Yes. Well, it's nice when we agree. We weren't sort of rare, beating rare, each other nice. with the chairs at the beginning of the show. Uh, I like that. But uh, this is, to me, it's, it's kind of like three things because what it is, it's, it deals with history. Mm. It deals with... Italian tradition, and I was sort of thinking about this while I was getting ready for this interview in the last couple of days. I reckon just about every dish in this book is mm -hmm. you could re regard as comfort food because I'm sure just about every dish brings back a memory of Guy being a kid and being fed a lot of these things. Yeah. I mean, we'll get started on the Zabaglioni. Yes. Imagine getting fed that every morning before going to school. Anyway, <laughs> stay tuned for that. Uh, that's it. We'll have a little bit of music uh, in between. A um, couple things, though. Uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to do a little bit of... What's that in your mouth? Thank you very much. We are on key today. Yes, what's that in your mouth? Where we sort of look back over the week and we say... That was a good bit of mastication. Yes. And it tasted good too. Um, do you want to uh, start off? You said oh, you, you were a little bit dusty today. I'll start. I had a fairly late night last night. You might hear it in my voice. Dusty still. Just, just a little bit. So um, what do you do when you wake up and you just 
not, not hung over, but just a little bit. Not 100%, would you say? Bloody Marys? So, I would considered. Yes. Dismissed. No, probably didn't not, for, to, not good for radio show. And, and no tomato juice in the fridge, oh, yeah. to be practical about it. Okay. Uh, no, we jumped in the car and went to Victoria Street and had probably the best... Uh, dusty breakfast you can possibly wish for, which is, of course... Does it have noodles? A steaming bowl of Vietnamese pho. And spring rolls. And spring rolls. <laughs> you had the deluxe. Uh, totally. So uh, my current favourite on... Everyone's got their favourite. I've re- looked it up. Yeah, uh, it's a place called uh, Hong Vong Tu. I'm not saying it correctly. I'll tweet it. I'll put Hong it up Vong on Twitter. Tu. But there's a, obviously zillions on Victoria Street. What's great yes. about um, Vietnamese cuisine is they often have fur for breakfast. So all of the... Uh, well, a lot of the Vietnamese places are open nice and early. In fact, our favourite banh mi place on Victoria Street opens at 5.30 in the morning. Every so when morning. You, that's when you walk up the steps. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. And they've, it's crazy. It's gone up to four fifty or $5. Yes. And, <laughs> and they now take credit cards. It's amazing. Whoa! But, uh, yeah, I know everyone... Melbourne loves fur, and we all know that. But if you've never tried it for breakfast... Yeah. Uh, just book in a date f- after your next late night, and you won't regret it. You'll be fine. Everything will be good. I've had mm. two things. Uh, it's been a week of contrasts for me, mm. food-wise. High point early in the week was, um, you might remember, Philip Kennedy from Pure South was on the show. Yes. Um, Philip hosted me for lunch, which is really great. Yeah, Because right. I wanted to talk to him about a few things that I want to do, mm. and I said, look, can we meet? And he said, yeah, come in for lunch. Mm. I was awesome. Pure South, of course, is down at South Bank, uh, mm-hmm. has been promoting the great things that come from the land and the sea around Tasmania, King Island, mm-hmm. Bruni, Flinders Island, mm. and had a cracker of a meal. God, yeah. God they have great, great food. Um, what were some of the highlights? I had? Oh, these scallops, which were just in, incredible, mm. um, which, you know, hand harvested and stuff like that. Beautiful piece of blue eye uh, with uh, mandarin and hazelnuts. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Spooky, but it works. Yeah. Spooky, but it works. So anyway, all, all I can say is totally recommended. Um, you need to go down there and, and check it out because it's a great view of the city and just awesome food. And not crazy, crazy, crazy expensive. Yeah, it's right. It's going to dent. You know, yeah, yeah but you'll not, feel it, but you'll it's feel not. It, but you know, yeah. hey, you'll survive. Uh, the other thing is the complete opposite, and this mm. sort of sets up um, uh, talking to Guy a little mm. bit later. Uh, although you want to mention something about ABV I and do. Carlisle Street, I do. so that's that's coming up. It was Friday night, and let's just say that. Um, there were two of us around. We were we were both very, very hungry, but there wasn't mm. a lot to eat. And this person that cooked for me, it's always a joy to have someone cook for you, to mm. just sit back and just watch them cook something for you. And a sautus came out and some oil, good olive oil, went into the pan. It was warmed up. Chopped garlic goes into there, slowly, slowly cooking away, and the smell of garlic comes through the air. Not burnt, because mm. you know you've gone too far, and you mm. may as well just forget it. Not burnt, but beautiful smell of garlic. A tin of tomatoes gets open. In this case, there were mutti cherry tomatoes in a tin. Yep. Thrown into the pan, and the pan's going... Psh- and the, and the oil's mixing with it. You know, you've, we've all done this. Mm. You know, we've, we've experienced this before. And, and, and the, the olive oil and the garlic is working with the tomatoes. And, and then the pan gets sort of tilted back so that 
it forms like a semicircle of those tomatoes that are in there. So there's room of the other half of the hemisphere on this circle and opens up a tin of Annalisa cannelloni beans, mm. white beans, mm. bang, goes in there. A bit of Cajun spice, so a bit of heat goes in there as well, a little bit of salt, cooked down. It was fantastic. Mm. And this is the sort of thing when you, when you so think simple that too. It's so simple. people yeah, have to, I don't know, ring up Uber or they have to go and get fast food and that you can, you can be at home and you can relax into the whole notion of just cooking something for yourself. This only took about 15 minutes. And incidentally, the person who was cooking for me said, well, maybe these beans aren't cooked through enough. Maybe I could give them a little bit more. Mm. But you have that, a little bit of bread, um, some um, a little bit of salad on the side, and some red wine. And dinner is served. Easy. And I think I, I sent um, – we've been laughing because I've <laughs> – I've come into the what is it the the early twenty uh, first century with Instagram. You've hit two thousand and eight because yeah, okay. you actually started to use social media. So Cam yeah. Smith eat it if you want to see the picture of these cans on Instagram. On Instagram, yes. Cam Smith mm-hmm. eat it. Check it out. Um, the these two things go together uh, so well. Mm. Yeah, that was that was uh, so. It's not hard. No, and um, I'm a big rep for tin tomatoes. One of my just easy base sources is, yeah, onion, break it down in the pan, tomato, tin of tomatoes, and just simmer it for 10 minutes, bit of salt. And with every yin, there is yang. Yes. Because I say to you, yes, tin tomatoes can be just beautiful. Yes. Tin tomatoes with basil or dried herbs are anathema. You mean dry basil. Fresh basil's fine. Did I say fresh? Yeah, I mean dry. Oh, 12 top. We need to get, move on. Hey, so, quickly, ABV. Before we do, um, our good friends at ABV on Carlos, we've got a thing tomorrow night. Let me get the info, Cam. Yeah, go on. Uh, ABV, uh, of course, Michael Saxon down there. He's been on the show before and he was talking about tequila. Did a tequila night. What's he doing? Tomorrow night is all about mezcal. If you want to um, sample probably more mezcal than you've ever wanted to sample before, mm-hmm. uh, they've got an event tomorrow night. There's still a few tickets are available. And it's, I think it's only 30 bucks. Yeah. Um, and you can sample a whole pile of mezcals and learn a little bit more about mezcal because you probably don't know much about it. I certainly don't. Yeah, and um, just to add on to that, I think we should just give give you the bona fides here, uh, Phil Bailey, Global Mezcal Ambassador. So it's not just Michael going, hey, have a look at this. This one's all right. This one's right. Yeah, what do you reckon? Who's going to do the worm? No, it's not like that. It's a little bit more than that. So um, tickets are available. Go to abvcraft.com. Uh, the remaining tickets have been reduced to $30. So mm. yeah, that sounds good. 1213. Um, let me, if I can, yes. um, paint you a picture. Of uh, number 80 Burke Street in Melbourne, mm. near the hill, a uh, restaurant, as we said before, has been going since 1918. And the thing about this restaurant is that it doesn't get much time to sleep. It's kind of always moving. It's got four and a half hours where it gets put to bed. At 4.30, the bakers arrive. They come in, they get the stuff organised. Six o'clock, the bread comes out, the focaccia goes in. The breakfast chef comes in. He's got the place to himself, but he's got to look out for all the orders that are coming in. He's checking out stuff. Seven o'clock, the front of house crew check in. 7.30, it's breakfast. Mm. And it's full steam ahead until midnight. 
six days a week, and it's been looked after by Guy Grossi. He's going to be our next guest. He's got a book called Celebar. He says he likes to play a little bit of Thelonious Monk during the morning just to keep people chilled, and we're going to let you just do this, and we're going to bring him in very shortly. You're listening to Eat It on 3 FM. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, mm. doesn't it? Guy Grossi. Hello. <laughs> I just like, woke up. It's like I just started you. I just woke up oh and started God. again. I'm in a radio studio. I open my eyes and there's Cam Smith. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Cook's actually. day off. Yeah, it's Sunday, family day. Yeah, no, yeah. this is just great. I, you don't know how hard it is to get this man in a studio on a Sunday. No, I love coming here. No, you must the, be selling the something or something. perfect because yeah. you can come here just on the way through to having lunch. It's good. And where are you going for lunch? I'm going to the Carlton Wine Room today. JT yes. is going to cook for us. Oh, yeah. really? Little family gathering there. It's going to be lovely. And what are the things you love to eat in the place? Is there any sort of oh, fave dishes? No, there's just a... Just feed me? Yeah, it's, uh, they do it. He does a, a cracking little um, pork um, croquet thing. Uh, really? Like made from the pig's head, which I really enjoy. Whoa. Yeah, so hopefully they'll be on the menu today. That sounds kind of nice. Um, we started this thing with uh, Thelonious because um, I sort of painted a picture of the... Uh, the day in the life of Cafe Florentino. And I was sort of looking back and I was saying the place only gets to sleep about four and a half hours a night before... It's very, very little time. It, uh, it, go, it goes almost 24 hours a day. Like yeah. By the time the last people are leaving at uh, one or two in the morning, you know, pastry chef's coming on about... Oh, um, yeah, because it's closing five, at 12. Yeah. They've still got to do the clean-up yeah, and dinners stuff. And dinner so on and, you know, cleaning up, pack down, all so that So it's probably just stuff. a couple hours, really. Yeah, but well, you're right, about three or four. Yeah. Couple. Yeah. Um, so you're here. I mean, we've been able to winkle you out of the family lunch, first of all, which is great, because you've written another book. First, how many books is it now? Oh, uh, I should have counted five before or I got about here. Five, about five. Yeah, 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 you're right. Let's um, go with five. We'll go works. with five. Yeah. Um, this, is, um, this is just about the, uh, the cellar bar here at, uh, as we're saying, number 89. I'm very excited about this one because it's focused on the cellar bar. And the cellar bar, as you know, is a, is a venue within our venue. Um, and it has its kind of own little subculture in it and its own little identity. Um, it's got its own very unique feel to it. Um, I think probably uh, it was amongst one of those first um, sort of cafe trattoria that really had that European style to it that, you know, hit the streets of Melbourne. So it's a really cool place. It started off as uh, Café de Nut, yeah? The the actual restaurant upstairs started off as Café de Nut, yeah, which was which became Café Florentino in 1928. 28. But the Samuel Wynne um, bought a restaurant called Café de Nut, which, which operated in Exhibition Street, uh. and he moved it into 80 Burke Street upstairs, which was his family home at the time, and he converted that into Café de Nut. So you know the pass from the cellar bar? With yes. That beautiful bit of... The barrel, that, yeah. The barrel and the wood yeah, and all that 1950s sort of fifties that came in. Oh, okay. That because was, it was interesting. It was, it was Florentino, and yet it had the Samuel Wynn sort of. Was yeah, that because Wynn? the Samuel Wynn, um, I guess, brand lived on there because he sold the leasehold to Ronaldo Massoni on the proviso that he would support the Wynn wine brand. So uh, that was written into his lease. Actually, I'm going to look you can't refuse. Exactly. So uh, very, you're clever, do very my clever, wine? clever. Very clever. That is very but the clever. Legacy, but the legacy lives on. Obviously, that's. Uh, gone and antiquated now, but the legacy still lives on. This book, which is about that bar, the cellar bar at 80 Burke Street, to me is a book about um, history, obviously, history of the place, 
tradition. Mm. And um, I was saying before, it's about comfort food. And and I was looking back after I've read the book. I've, I've read it from cover to cover. Um, and dare I say that just about every one of these recipes that is in here is some sort of comfort food that reminds you of being fed by someone else? Well, I have to agree. Look, it's uh, the, the food in, in the cell bar that we serve each day is food based on Italian household. Yeah. Uh, and in many dishes, we try to emulate the dishes that I grew up with as a, as a young boy in the suburbs of Melbourne, mm. being um, nurtured by a very loving mum who cooked a lot for us. So, for example, the lasagna we serve in the cellar bar is as close as possible to her original recipe. Every now and then we bring her in and give her a serve and, and just go, are we cool? So it's, are we all right? Are we, are we it's like a good? calibration. Are we still good? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. It's, it's, yeah, lasagna it's calibration. calibration. Are you cool? And you, and you leave her get the nod or does, is your mum a finger wagger? Uh, what can, are you doing there can be. I was just saying to my good mate Raymond Capaldi out there that he asked how she was and I said she still makes herself heard. Mm. <laughs> I'll bet. And... And and that's it because she's on I don't know like about page ten. There's this beautiful picture of the family on Burke Street. But yeah, it's it's like that though. Like ricotta hotcakes. You talk about your son Carlo's favourite thing on the planet. Well, he he loved them. He always has loved them ever since he was a very young boy. Um, and he imbibes quite a bit in in them. Yes. So he still enjoys them. He yes. still he digs them. He digs them. Um, and uh, but they're just lovely, sweet, delicate, and a l- lovely little kickstart to the morning. Mm. Um, the the pasta is one of the staples in the cellar bar as well. It really, if you had to sort of sum it up into what is it all about, it's it's a pasta bar. It's all about great hand cut pastas. Um, you know, we still make all the pumpkin tortellini by hand every day. Someone, um, someone actually got to me on the Instagram who was saying, is the pumpkin tortellini recipe in here? This is, and, but afterwards it was, yeah. this is really important. It is. Yeah, uh, the, it was because it uh, she said she was growing the sage especially to make that dish. Uh, it's a beautiful dish. It's sweet. It's succulent. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a traditional thing from um, a little town in, uh, in Italy called Modena, the, the tortelli, yes. tortelli di zucca. Um, you know, you can break up amaretti on there. We don't. We just keep it as the pure pumpkin. But Some you have can, the mustard on there You too. have the mustard with it as well. But we just use um, crispy fried sage S- with it and nut brown butter, parmigiano and... It's delicious. Maybe if Rodus was doing it upstairs, you might do that. With yeah, a bit we, of do, we do with yeah. a bit of mustard or something like that. Yeah, you give it a bit more elegance. And uh, I liked one of the things you, we got to the the pasta section, and you were just saying, look, there's rules for th- things. Like, for instance, what were you saying? Orecchetti, it goes with... Well, it goes with broccoli, or it goes with chimichurri. It goes. Well, you know, are they rules? They're traditions. They're rules. There's just some people. Sometimes people say, "I say, oh no, you can't put that pasta with that," and they say, "Why?" Why? And I say, "Just because because you you can't." It's just that's the way it is. It's not a rule. It's not a rule. Do it if you want to, but just if you want to know my opinion, you can't. And just just eat it. And you're no fear to me. (laughs) This one, the fingers just just come up. And but uh, there was another really great great analogy that I loved about it where you said, okay, we've got to the point where pastas are the sort of, you know, the, the, the rock stars of uh, Florentino, and, but then you brought out a couple and you, you, you directly compared them to the Rolling Stones, which I love. Can you please repeat that? 
The Rolling Stones. All right, I'll yeah, do it. You said, you, you, it. Uh, you said to, that it was uh, lasagna and the bolognese. Uh, the, I think you said the bolognese was Keith Richards. <laughs> yes, that's and, right. Yes, yes. And the right. other one was Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger, that's right. So, um, well, they are. Well, as I said, the pasta is the the rock star of the cellar bar. So mm. that's that's exactly as it stands. Center stage. Yes. Yeah. Front side. The spotlights on. Um, there was an interesting thing in that there's a different um, minces that get put into the, the bolognese's. Uh, I think when my mum first started, because she was just looking towards France and she was a great cook, but she didn't understand Italian food. God bless you. I'm sorry, Mama. I'm looking up at you now. Um, but Italians, a lot of the times, they use pork mince in there to soften it up. You also in this recipe have a bit of chicken mince. Yeah, we use a Why? little. Why? What's the chicken mince? It's ju- it just what do you do that it for? just lightens it up. Lighten. Right? Yeah. And again, we're, we're just because we do, we do it. <laughs> we do it. This is the way we do it. And Mama, no, we, she's gonna... we just like to have the mix of the three meats in there. Yeah. And it's quite traditional. Um, it's a, it's a, it, the bolognese obviously comes from Bologna, um, and uh, you know, in some recipes they actually finish the bolognese with a touch of milk as well, a touch of cream. We really? don't. We don't. Um, we like to keep it quite pure and quite simple. The cream gives a, a richness on the mouth. It, yeah, it, it richens it up, but also it helps to bind it together. Oh. Um, but we uh, we just keep it with um, the paste, the herb mix that we use, which is um, and the garlic and onions what that we put, you in it. we put in. There? We put a, a little bit of um, uh, the herb, the spice and herb mix. We use a bit of nutmeg. We use a bit of cloves. Oh, uh, we yes. use um, a fair amount of garlic, um, and the herbs we use is parsley, yes. predominantly parsley touch of rosemary and touch of sage in there as well. Isn't it amazing that those basey ones are in there and you be just a, just a little bit of clove here. Yeah? No, it's you a, don't need a lot. You don't, no. want to, you don't want to detect it You don't o- even want overly, to taste it. But it, it's a hint. It's a flavour in there. It's like a, it's like a seasoning in there. Um, and the, the key to making a sauce like that is obviously, you know, your sofrito. The sofrito is always the important part. You start to, you know, with your frying of your, of your onions and the garlic and all that in the base. The, f- and the sofrito is the year the zero of everything, it isn't is. it? Really? And then you start to build your layers on top of that. So you, you know, the meat has to be well cooked, really well sauteed off before you start adding your wet ingredients. And that is uh, one of the keys to making uh, the difference between a good ragu sauce like that or, or a fantastic and amazing one. Because once you start to get that beautiful roasted flavor around each each morsel of meat that's in that sauce, you are actually building depth of flavour in there. Then you've got something to cook away. So you then you cook it, you bring it up, and then you cook it very gently over a long period of time. The longer you take, it's better. You know, so you just turn it right down. Take your time. Don't try and rush it. You know, some chefs they turn up the gas and they want to boil it faster <laughs> so it cooks quicker. No. I always turn down the gas. You've got to take your time. This is like a braised sauce. It is a braised sauce. It is exactly that. Break everything down. Mm. Make it all beautiful. And you know what? This this book, God, I really enjoy. I, I love this book. Thank I re- you. I really, really do. Thank you. Uh, but uh, as I said, I was. Uh, uh, I think it was Thursday night. I'm, I'm I'm in bed reading a cookbook, which is always a terrible thing to do late at night when you're reading a cookbook of beautiful food. And. I used to go out with an Italian for uh, a little while, and it was fantastic. But I remember something happened to me where the first time I ever went out for for dinner at this place and um, to the family, and you know, the first thing you want a whiskey? Yeah, sure, we'll have a whiskey, uh, antipasto. And I've gone, oh my god, I lost my mind because there's just so much beautiful food. And I 
pegged out on the antipastor. And then we had the pasta came out, mm. and I went, yeah, this is good. I can you do this. You peaked too early. I, yeah, no, I was still going. I was still mm. okay for the pasta. I'm thinking, no, I can do this. I can do this. And I've had the pasta. Then they look at me and they go, now we eat. And I went, I'm screwed. <laughs> and this was like this when I'm reading this book because I've gone through the breads. I've gone through the breakfast. I've gone through the dessert. I've got to the past. I'm going, my God, this is just fantastic. I'm, I mean, I have to, have to go out and get some food. And then after the pasta, what happens? The meat course. The meat course. <laughs> well, oh hello. It's hello. lunch, isn't it? Oh, my God. And but it, uh, I didn't take you for such a lightweight. Ah, no, you think I'd know by no. now. <laughs> Knowledge plus experience. But then there's this great anecdote that I'd forgotten about you, Guy. The great stealer of the marrow of the Osobuco. Yeah, that yeah. is Come true, on, tell actually. us about that. This is a this is a terrible thing you well, used to do as a child. It is, and I, I regret it to this day. I've, I've, <laughs> you know, I've even gone to confession and, and confessed it. Tell Father um, what you have done. Well, what I used to do when Mum used to cook up the Osobuco for us, she'd sort of leave it to rest and brood for a while <laughs> up on, above the stove. Yeah. And I'd sneak in there and uh, I'd take the tray down and then with a little, armed with a little teaspoon, I'd uh, um, harvest each marrow out of the middle of the osobuco. So then when it arrived at the family table, there was, wasn't many osobuco, many, there were all bukos. No, there was no marrow in the no, bukos. There was just the buko, just the hole. Was there hell to pay? Well, my father was very angry because it was his favourite part of the yeah. dish as well. So he always used to get angry with me. So I eventually had to stop doing it. Yes. Situation normal. Yeah. Pietro is angry. <laughs> you wouldn't have liked Pietro when he got angry. No, I can imagine. But you, he, you wouldn't have liked my dad when he was pissed or upset. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you, you, you'll never die wondering with him. But no. But in, in a way, this is an interesting thing, and and this is a great thing. Getting back to family tradition, because there's so many shots of family. Incidentally, the grade on this book. Uh, Do you what, like it? Yeah, what we would now know because we're in the you know the age of filter. Mm. Um, it, it's got this sort of golden sepia quality. Yeah, it's to lovely. It. Well, but, you know, but, with the, I yeah. can't take. Look, this is probably a good segue into Giggle. saying into saying that um, I I love this book too. It's it's very relaxed and it's it's something which you can pick up. And I see you've got chocolate on it already, which is fantastic. Which you were delighted about. Which I'm delighted about, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a relaxed cookbook, and it is a cookbook that you can do at home. It's it's yeah. it's very much family recipes. Yes. Um. But with and but it's still that's no excuse for things that are not great. So they can be some of the greatest dishes in the world. Absolutely. If everything's respected, all the help that comes together to put a, a book like this together or a project like this together. Like I'm very proud that um, I have actually co-written this book with um, Carlo and Chris Rodriguez, Chris my brother-in-law and Carlo, my son. Yes. So they're, they're, and so they're actually, um, they're listed as authors, which is fantastic. Um, and Mark Chu, the photographer, you mentioned the photography. He's, um, an amazing photographer mm. um, but it would be remiss of me not to mention everybody else that goes into making a project like this all the whole extended family the team at work and all of that but also all the magnificent people that go to work and supply us every day with all this wonderful produce that we mention throughout the book the local farmers the people that make the plates and the pottery and I believe you've got Sam Sam's coming. about to come on he's about to yeah, come on he's so made plates for you he's made lots of plates for us yeah. he's actually been making plates 
mates at the Florentino for many, many years, even pre our time there. He'll probably mention that when he when he comes on. I don't want to steal his thunder, but no, no. but um, don't do that. It, uh, it 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 is so many people. People don't understand how many bodies wake up of a morning to make things like this, or mm. a restaurant, or you know, great food culture in Melbourne continue to grow and and make it happy and good. One of the yeah, and does Matt, that Matt, sound passionate? Yeah, you know, I was going for pure. No, you're passion. going. You're going. We're, 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 you won us. That over was my, that. that was my best work. But Matt, Matt and I were talking about this. We were we were looking um, at the the back, and we were actually ruminating on the fact that. Oh, how do we put this delicately? Um, there's a few restaurateurs that have been in the news for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's just say no, no. Don't, don't hear me out. Um, but. Uh, they, I don't think I've seen many of the ones who have been in the news for the wrong reasons. That's a good euphemism. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Mm. That have a pictures on the back cover with all their stuff because not only do you have your family, but I would say to you, and do you think this is a true thing, that this staff is almost like your extended family? We have a lot of people that have work, been working mm. for us in excess of 10 years, 15 years. Um, there's a great team of people behind us, um, and uh, we love them all. And um, hopefully they love us back. And they've been around a while, so I think that they do. All right, I'm going to finish that off because I don't want to leave it on that sort of a, 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 a sort of thing like that. One of the things when I did actually get to the uh, the mains and I went, damn you, Guy Grassi. There's so much beautiful food here. You were talking about uh, risotto, and um, I've never heard this um, said before, the way to describe the way the risotto needs to be on the plate. And uh, excuse my translation. You can si. A la onda. A la onda. Yeah. A la onda. What does that mean? It means uh, to the wave. So yes. um, many, many moons ago, risotto was served quite a bit firmer than what it yes. is today. Glug. The, yeah. These days, it's a lot more elegant in its um, in its viscosity. It uh, falls it, it on It falls to... like a wave. So, yes. so once you put it in the centre of your plate, you should see it naturally just kind of come to the edges. Mm. Um, but you don't want to see that separation of liquid. It's the starch and the liquid and the fats that are in the risotto have to be emulsified. And that's where, you know, it's called the man- to mantegare the risotto. And it brings it all together where those elements come together and forms that lovely wave, that onda. So a I shiny suge- wave. Yeah. Shiny so I wave. suggest if you don't feel like a swim and you're hungry, you can still catch a wave. All right. And one thing before we uh, – actually, two, two very good, quick things. That was good, I just thought of that. That's very nice. One thing that uh, personifies the philosophy behind uh, the people and the ethos behind Florentino is uh, a thing called, and here we go, I'm going to murder the language, uh, sprezzatura. The sprezzatura. The sprezzatura is You did. You're fantastic. Like a native. What does that mean? (laughs) The sprezzatura is, it's it's a word which, um, it's kind of, Organized chaos. Mm. It, it's it's um, there's no real proper explanation for it other than the fact that things fall into place that seem by chance. So you need your wine and it's just there because the bottle happens to be close enough to reach it. Mm. Um, you need some cutlery and it just kind of appears because it just happened to be there. But it all had to be organized at some point for it all to work. But there's a thought process but behind it. There's a thought it all. process behind it, but it seems like. 
It's very hospitable. It's a bit manic, and it and it wasn't really organised for you. It just kind of happened because everyone cared so much, which they do. But it's kind of organised beforehand. That's the classic sprezzatura. Calm, cool, and slick. Uh, one more thing. Okay, last thing before you go to lunch. Well, I love playing this. I haven't. I don't think we've ever played this game before. Last meal. What would your last meal be? Uh, it would be food with family and friends. I don't care what I'd be eating as long as the people around me loves me. Mm, cry. Enjoy your lunch. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. How much is the book? Forty nine ninety nine. What a bargain! What a bargain! <laughs> and it's if, out just before Christmas, twenty ninth of October. You could probably get it at Hill of Content. You could, <laughs> and I could even sign it for you if I'm around. <laughs> okay, actually, I'm going to get you to sign my copy. Uh, we are going to be back. Uh, we're going to be talking plates, which uh, I am very, very much looking forward to. Sam Gordon, who's made plates for Guy. We got some music first. Yeah, let's do it. Sam Gordon, how are you? Oh, thank you, Cam. Yeah, I'm really well. Thanks for having me. Your father started uh, this this business, this this pottery business, and and I was saying to Matt um, that you know we've been doing this show for a, a little while now. We've talked a lot about the food uh, that goes onto plates. Uh, we've talked about all manner of things that reside on plates, but we've actually never talked to anyone about the plate itself. And when we, we think of it, sorry, man, I was no, going to say, the, the, the plate is almost like the frame for the food. And uh, you've made your life uh, pottery and following in your dad's footsteps. So maybe just to get us this thing kicking along, maybe we have a chat about your dad first, Robert Gordon. How did he get involved in making those plates that frame the food? Yeah, oh, thanks, Cam. So it, it goes back a, a bit further than um, just that. So we're three generations of potters. Oh, three generations? Yeah. Oh, yep. okay. Yep. So um, my grandparents uh, had, a, had a, a pottery called Dyson Studios, and that was out of um, Black Rock, so Bayside, during the 90s. Why that's in Black Rock? I'm not quite sure, but oh, okay. it was, you know, no, I'm just saying that because I used yep. to live in Bo Morris. Oh, okay. Yep. I'm Bowie boy. So yeah, I was going, oh, Black Rock. Yeah, yep. okay. So it started in... In, in, in Black Rock, yep. in, in a house in Black Rock, and then during the 1940s, and... It's funny enough because they actually supplied the original Florentino, so way back then. So no. yeah, yeah. So it was nice to have Guy in. And if you look at the back of Guy's plates now, it says um, proudly supplying Florentino since um, 1940s. So yeah, wow. yeah. So that's a nice story. And then they um, they moved the pottery up to a little town in the Yarra Valley um, called Jembrook, yes. um, and that's where it was. Uh, right up until the 80s and so dad worked with his parents in Dyson Studios and then left and started Robert Gordon in late 70s yes. um, with mum and yeah started selling to St Kilda Market and wholesaling and things like that and it grew really quickly um, during the late 80s and early 90s to having 100 staff um, 100 staff yeah, yeah making pots which was amazing when you would see, you know, 15, wow. 15 throwers on a wheel throwing pots and things like that. Those days are, are you know, are, have gone so much, but we're, we're a little bit more automated and, and things like that. We have about 40 staff now making pots. Um, and it's it, still heaps of people doing yeah. all, all crafting the, yeah. the sort of stuff. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they take a plate for granted in the, in the fact that it's just a flat surface that you whack some food on and there you go and you try not to drop it and break it, otherwise mum gets upset. Um, but... The processes involved to get from a lump of clay 
to a finished overglazed plate is quite something. Can can you just give us a, the the listeners an idea of what goes into making a plate? Okay, so the the raw material was mined in a little town called Gulgong in northern New South Wales, outside uh, Newcastle. Yep. And so the raw mud clay is and, and then it's brought down to Victoria to a. Um, probably Australia's largest processor called Clayworks, who we've been using for 35 years. And yeah. they'll, they'll add other minerals and things like that to make it into clay. Yes. comes out to us, and then depending on the way we're forming it, whether it's a, a plate or a platter or a mug or a cup, depends yes. which way we, we manufacture it. Um, it passes through, I think, about 20, 20 people's hands in our factory by the time it's pressed, fettled, which is sponged, Loaded onto a bisque kiln, bisque fired. Whoa, what's bisque? So bisque firing is um, the first firing of a, of a ceramic pot, which it takes away the impurities, um, any organic matter which will burn out, so um, yep. which would cause a pinhole in the in the clay later. So mm. you want a nice glazed surface. It's fired at a thousand degrees um, at bisque, and then you Celsius. Thousand degrees Celsius. Yes. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. And then it's gloss fired at twelve hundred and forty. So you got to okay. So here we go. We've just we've whacked it in the kiln for that firing, and then it's got to come out. Yes. It's already had a couple of things, and also you know the clay's got to be right. It can't have any air holes in it, and it's got to have the right minerality. It's got to have the right composition, as you say. So once you've bisque fired it, then it's ready for its design. Am I right? Yes, you're right. So and- how did we put the design on? Well, we're lucky. I work with um, my sister Kate and my brother and Hannah, and they're very creative. So it's mm. a true family business. Um, they're designers, and, and we we often they often go back through our archives. So what's popular now is a lot of um, studio glazes, which were recipes from our parents. And then we also oh, wow. yeah, yeah. We, we also listen to the chefs and, and to our customers a lot. So we we get them invite them out to the pottery and and listen to what they want, and then you know custom make to order or, or you know have some set ranges made for them. As as have some of the the very much the great and the good of the the industry, haven't they? Because we were talking guys just talking about them going, yeah, yeah, Sam's in, he's a lovely guy, and I love the stuff. And as you say, this. Uh, an association that goes back decades, yeah. uh, but you've also supplied to what have we got? Um, I know Long Grain, uh, View de Monde, yep. some places overseas. Yeah, yep. place in Las Vegas was it? Yeah, Bellagio, New York. We supply, so we're doing quite quite well in New yeah. York at the moment. Yeah, right. yeah. I oh, know it's crazy, isn't it? For right. a little pottery, but we still haven't finished the plate that we yep. wanted to make. So we've bisque fired it. Um, you've got your sister and her design team, who then. Uh, with in consultation with the people that she works with that you work with, yes. they then put a glaze yes. onto a plate. Then what happens? It's fire. It goes. It goes into a kiln again, and it's fired at twelve hundred and forty. Which is this is a really important point because Here we, go. we fire to twelve hundred and forty degrees, so it's fully vitrified, which means nothing can penetrate, and and it's quite strong. There's no water absorption. Um, mm. Uh, you could fire to 1,100 degrees and it would look exactly the same. Oh, However, right. it would still have some water absorption inside it and it would break down over time and have some crazing and things like that on it. And this yeah. is uh, – uh, uh, let's finish the, the, the process. So then we've got that and then – have you done the overglaze? Sorry, I was – Yeah, that yeah, – that Then that overglaze and yeah. then bang, it goes like that. So yes. we talk about something being super vitrified and – if we look back at the history of plate making, I like first of all, there's a lot of earthenware around, and that isn't 
to the same degree or temperature to the degree, isn't it? No, it's not. I mean, you get lovely colours at lower temperatures. Um, mm. So the brighter colours tend to burn out at, at higher temperatures. But in hospitality, you kind of live and die by the quality. And if you have a plate that's And not, durability. Yeah, durability. Yeah. yeah. If, if you have something that breaks down, there's no way Guy would be saying that Sam's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, nice guy. My plates keep breaking and I want to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but the idea, and you will get this if you get a, um, a plate in your in your kitchen, folks. If you just get it, hold it up, and just sort of flick it, it should have a nice ting, shouldn't yeah, it? It should ring all the way around like a bell. Yeah, yeah. because that beca- is because the heat has gone up, and all those molecules have just snuggled up together, and there's no room. Hundred percent. Is that sort of it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like these yeah. these molecules are tired. Yeah, <laughs> and they're not letting anything in. No, no, and and that's sort of the idea of um, why you do something to that temperature. And is that sort of um, like if we look at sort of the history of of people eating off pottery? If we let's, let's do a little little bit of, of history. Um, is that because the the technology in the early parts we weren't able to get temperatures that high? No, there, there would have been. There would have been mm. temperatures that high. It was more to do with the decoration. So, oh, right. bright reds and oranges and, and burgundies and colours like that would burn out at a higher temperature. Yep. Yep. So the lower temperature you go, the more bright colour. So depending on the fashions in the time that that were around that the glazers would have been there was certainly some beautiful hotel ware being made out of um the uk and rural copenhagen and places like that um which were extremely strong yeah and and fashions have changed i mean if we we look back uh, let's say to victorian times um a lot of the times you had these highly patterned places. I, I think maybe for most people they can think in their minds about willow ware yeah blue white glaze uh really intricate design isn't it and it kind of takes away from what you're putting on the plate. Yeah, it does. You've got to be really... When you're designing for chefs, you just want that plate to be a canvas. If we, if I go to a chef and I, and I have a design which is too overbearing, it's just, it detracts from what they're doing. It's not... You know, we just want to be subtly in the background and supply a beautiful, strong plate that, that it enhances in some way. You know, it's, it can't, it's not a show plate for us, if that makes sense. If when, when I was a kid growing up, my parents made a big thing. I think they bought a whole bunch of, um, Japanese crockery noritake. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But, um, it was sort of these blues and yellows and these sort of circles going around and kind of took away from the food a bit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. And so for me, it sort of seems, okay, so we went through the 70s, but along came in the 1980s the whole notion of the new cuisine, nouvelle cuisine. And one of the things that personified that was uh, big white plates yeah. with not much food on it. Yeah. Um, but that was where we, we first saw uh, that sort of thing as just the, the beautiful... Uh, empty frame that's sort of not a, a good way to put it but you know what i'm saying it, yeah it was um they still talk about it now because it, it could come back but they talk about the invisible restaurant a little bit so a plain white plate where everything in the restaurant's kind of white and uh, oh know, the invisible yeah, restaurant yeah, 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 yeah so, it's like the void of psych wall in yeah a, in yeah, a photographer's yeah, and studio every, everything comes out and it's only about the food which i yes. understand and, yeah. and you know um, yeah, not that there's anything wrong with it no 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 yeah. people like um, morris Dazzini in sydney still do this like that's what he believes by and, and you know it's hugely successful but um it might come back it and you know it's certainly working for those guys yeah and so 
where do you think where are we now in the sort of the plate zeitgeist? <laughs> the plate design. Sorry, Matt. Matt's going to shaking his head. Sorry, Matt. Yes, uh, where are we with plate design now? And it's really really hard to generalise because you do all sorts of different things for different people. But we do, and and, and what happens now? Venues are spending millions of dollars on their fit-outs and, mm. they're, and they're themed appropriately. So Guy's Restaurant's a classical Italian restaurant and he shouldn't go too far out the box with something crazy. You know, mm. like when, but if you, if you were talking to a, you know, a, you know, a, a different style of restaurant, it's, what's in vogue now is, is making sure you're customising to that particular chef and that particular venue. So mm. um, it could be old studio glazes from the 60s and 70s right through to classic uh, willow wear but pared down on the blue and white. So yeah, right. old-fashioned hotel wear is what I actually, you know, I love it. You know, so one of my favourite venues is um, Fitzroy Town Hall and, and that's just a classic yes. classic pub and it's just got classic bistro wear and it, and it suits the venue really well. Can you sort of describe it for us? What does it sort of look like? Are they big plates, small plates? Yeah, they're, they're big plates. Because that was another thing that sort of evolved as the, the ebbed and flows is the actual diameter of the plates too, yeah? Yeah. Um, my mum, who, who came over from the UK and um, started Robert Gordon with Dad, um, her, one of the things she brought over was her dinner set from Royal Copenhagen. And in that mix was a, a dinner plate, and that dinner plate is 24 centimetres. And so now a dinner plate for a standard restaurant is, is anywhere from 27 to 29 centimetres. And okay. that's for the standard for home too. So it's yeah. gone up quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. And back to the Fitzroy. Sorry, I cut you off with the uh, Fitzroy. Can you describe the, the hotel wear that you designed for them? Yeah, it's it's a classic heavy-duty bistro um, wear. So it's it's your traditional 35-centimetre ovals with a nice big rolled edge on it with a, with a classic green band. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, as opposed to like an organic plate or something like that. That design has been around for... You know, hundreds of years. It's just it, it, I don't think it'll ever go out of fashion. I had a restaurant called CJ's a million years ago at the Flagstaff Hotel. And we had Bristol, Bristol, yeah, Bristol, yeah, Bristol yeah. and we had a green band around. Yeah, exactly, it's exactly the same. Because yeah, yeah. funny, you said you just brought back memories. But you guys uh, make uh, create in Pakenham on, yes. the, on the way to to Gippsland yes. out there, uh, and something great has come that's uh, that's added to the offering that you have not only can you walk out with a plate you can come in and and eat off a plate too yeah Pakenham's a, a great little town and it, it's it's um certainly a growth corridor of melbourne and we just felt we had to offer more at our factory outlet and yeah. and you know a, a restaurant or a cafe is, is what we've done and it's just a good quality um honest honest fare um we've got a great chef in there chris henderson um and also you can paint a plate and decorate a plate and come back a week's time and pick up a plate too so how okay so first of all um chris is doing actually really some awesome food because i had a look at some of the shots and it's it's not just a pie on a plate no no it's not even a pie floater if it is a good pie it comes from raymond capaldi it's the best pie in the business oh (laughs) well done raymond's in the green room just so you know why that but yeah raymond makes maybe the best pies in melbourne but um all sorts of really really there's some some interesting food going there yeah, and it, it's just really good quality too. He uses the best eggs. It's a brunch and, and lunch menu, um, and we're, we're evolving the menu a little bit. We've been open for a month, and we're still finding our feet a little bit, but the quality is fantastic, yeah, what he's bringing. I love the fact that you can go in there. Kids can um, get a bisque-fired plate and yes. go crazy with the glazes. Yes. 
and and do all that sort of stuff. Is there how much does that cost? By the way, how much does a plate uh, cost? A plate will, will cost between the twelve and fifteen dollars. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, and say they can't make it out to Packenham the week after. Can you send it to them? Or is there, yeah, is there can, a provision we, to do that? Yeah, absolutely. We can oh, always arrange cool. it. That's, that's all fine. Right. But um, the great thing is, uh, come for the the plates and uh, the great history that has gone into it and the thought and all those different actions. Can we just repeat again, to get from a lump of clay to a plate, how many different actions are there around about? About 12? About a dozen. Yeah, yeah about yeah. a dozen. Yep. So you just look at that plate in a different light and be uh, give thanks that uh, not everything is made in China. And that's that's kind of a nice thing. And that's a good feeling that I get from uh, the end of the show today and, no, the, okay. and the fact that you were there, but also the fact that you've got a new chef, Chris Henderson, who's um, doing really beautiful food. How do we find you online? Uh, www.robertgordonaustralia.com. Uh, yeah. That'll get it. Or Robert Gordon and Pottery. Yeah, will. Robert Gordon and Pottery will be fine. Um, the yeah. magic of the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's good. So that wasn't so bad, was it? No, no, it was fantastic. Yeah, you're a little bit Thank worried you, coming on. Yeah, um, look, congratulations um, on continuing what you do. Um, that is uh, is great. We probably have to leave uh, 12.59. Still here. It's on. Neil's, Neil's in looking, the house. Looking good. He's, He's looking good. He's smiling. I saw... Um, he's, he's looking happy today. I think I, he must have some pretty good guests on, I think. I saw Uncle Jack Charles just wandering around the yeah, show. Too. Very good to welcome him in back in the Triple R. Absolutely. And uh, very, very excited. Tune in next week uh, because Ben Shuri from Attica will be uh, not on the show. I think we're going to wander around his gardens. You making a place for Ben? Yeah, a yeah. bit. Yep. Of course you are. There we go. <laughs> One o'clock. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for coming in. Matt. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you. And we'll see you all again next week. Come on. Why won't you? Bye. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.